Welcome to What Healthy Couples Know That You Don't, a podcast dedicated to helping you create the relationship you truly want. Welcome, Attachment Theory and Relationships. Why does this matter? Episode 69. Hi, I'm Rhoda, and today we're going to explore attachment theory because it's going to help you to understand your own relationships. Information is power, and recognizing yourself in one of these attachment styles could really improve your future. So I invited Annie Chen, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist with a private practice in Oakland, California, to join us today because she is focused on working with couples. She has written a workbook for sale on Amazon, the Attachment Theory Workbook, to help people build lasting relationships. And lots of people commented, which is why I invited her, on how understandable and helpful the workbook was. Thanks so much for agreeing to join me today, Annie. Hi, Rhoda. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm looking forward to having this conversation with you today. Great. Let's begin with you giving a brief explanation of attachment theory and why it's important for my audience to learn more about it. Sure. Yeah. So, um, so I think the, the most central premise in attachment theory and the way that I explain it is that we begin learning about relationships really early in life as infants, and we depend on the caretakers around us to give us what we need. Um, so from our very earliest experiences, you know, we're looking into the eyes of our, our mothers or fathers or caretakers, and we uh, get a sense of safety, we get a sense of security, we we get a sense that somebody's there and that when we signal, um, they're, they, they're going to be there or they're not going to be there. And so we learn things like, will my needs get met when I signal for attention? Are people going to be consistent when they respond to me? And, and then so these questions have a lot to do with trust and safety and security in, in these relationships. Um, and it turns out that you know by, by childhood, there's already a template for how um, you know, what we expect or don't expect from these relationships. And then that stays fairly consistent as well. And our responses to what those things are and, you know, how we respond to these, these people and what they do, um, that remains consistent. And so when we, uh, up, you know, upgrade into adult relationships, um, it turns out that we remember a lot about that stuff and, and certainly things can change and can evolve, but memory is pretty sticky. And so our responses, you know, in these intimate relationships tend to, to mirror the ones um, in, our, in, in, our, in our childhood, in, in our early life, uh, because, because the, 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 the intimacy is there or the, the sense of, you know, depending on this person is there. So the history, what you're saying is the history leaves an imprint and a pattern that really shapes some of the ways we think about attaching and being intimate with someone else. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's certainly what I see in my practice. Is, is that something that, that resonates with you, Rhoda? I know you've been practicing with couples for a long, long time. 
Yes. And I think people, I ask them to think about their relationships with their mothers and their fathers or their grandparents or whoever was that important caretaking person so that they can then really understand a little bit about how they might look. I know I just worked with somebody and we realized that her father hadn't been there, had left the family, and then she married a man who was emotionally unavailable and then had an affair with a man who was married and therefore unavailable in a different way. And Mm -hmm. I think it's connected to the original learnings about dad not being there that has continued that pattern and really got her thinking about herself in a unique way, which I think was really helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So learning about what love should look like, what it feels like, you know, what, what love feels like, and then uh, what we can or should expect from these early experiences. So tell me more about your anxious attaching people um, and how does that connect to childhood? What did those folks learn in childhood? Yeah. So, you know, roughly it's this. If we had caretaking as a child that was inconsistent when we were young, then we learn that people can sometimes meet our needs, but also sometimes leave us hanging when we really need them. And this can lead us to, in a way, um, uh, feel angry, feel ambivalent, and then also overcompensate in our behaviors to try to kind of get the other person to respond to us, whether this is effective or not. And, um, and so this is a style of insecure attachment. And, um, and you know, we call it, uh, there's different nomenclatures. So, you know, when we look at the attachment research, this style of attachment or this kind of category of coding is sometimes called angry ambivalent. Um, but sort of in popular nomenclature, we call it anxious attachment. So is that mean that people clutch and grasp? That was kind of my imagination when you were talking about anxious attachment. Yeah, I think uh, this this kind of grasping, um, needing this this sort of drive to 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 you know act and and do more in order to to get what we want. Um, I think that's that's pretty common. That's a pretty common expression of of anxious attachment. Even people who might make 15 phone calls when somebody's not answering and they just keep calling and calling and calling, kind of a demand, you know, that I need something, I want something, you're not paying attention, Um, as opposed to, well, maybe the other person's busy and maybe they can't answer the phone right now, or maybe they lost the charge on their phone. Um, Mm -hmm. there's, There's kind of an insistent about now pay attention. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that that can be definitely an expression of, of anxious attachment. Yeah, I, I think that's something that, you know, we see often. And so um, what happens is that there's a sense of rejection, you know, that that gets gets triggered um, that uh, oftentimes you know, really relates not to this instance, not to the, the missed call, but it relates to the past. It relates to memory of things that have happened in the past to, to that person. And, um, and so the rejection, uh, spurs 
what what are errors, you know, in in um, in you know evaluating and judgment in you know how to respond to the situation. And so yeah, so what you see is people um, not being able to really tolerate the sense of rejection, and then uh, you know whether it's it's real or not, um, and then they they try to overcompensate for that by by um, grasping, like you said, you know, it could be 15 text messages or, or just kind of a, in a um, angry or demanding demeanor or a critical tone. Um, and, and, and so there's, yeah, there's, there's, you know, they do it because it feels good or they do it because it's impulsive, not because it actually makes sense for the relationship or it's going to get them what they want or need. Yeah, because in fact, um, in the old days, we called it pursuer pursued, where when somebody chases somebody, they tend to back up. The other person tends to back up. And so you want to be able to back yourself up a little bit and get more grounded as opposed to keep chasing. It just Mm -hmm. doesn't work very well. So for more than 40 years, I've been talking to my single dating clients about distancers, which in my mind are people who like to be in charge of relationship connections when it benefits them. In attachment theory, I think these folks are called avoiders or dismissive. Could you tell us what makes them tick and how is it connected to childhood? Yeah, so um, for distancers or uh, avoiders, dismissive style of attachment, um, it, it's roughly this. So, so if we were ignored early in life when we signaled for attention, um, and we, you know we were ignored enough or consistently enough, then we learn predominantly that people can't really meet our needs. They're they're not going to, and then we stop signaling and we just we just go well that didn't work you know I, I cried or I um I uh cried my lungs out and then that didn't work so so then we depend on ourselves instead and kind of just you know uh, learn to soothe ourselves we learn to 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 sort of kind of contain all of the needs um and then in adult relationships they carry this notion well people won't meet my needs because they can't. Um, and so I'm, I'm better off taking care of myself. I'm better off on my own, even if they're in a relationship. I really can't count on other people because that's what I learned in childhood. Yeah. Yeah. In your workbook, you chose not to explore the disorganized or anxious and avoidant attachment, that mixture. Could you describe that style and why you made that decision? Yeah. Uh, so Rhoda, I love that you asked this question. I, I think this is a question that, that um, kind of confuses people a lot, especially if they're just getting into attachment theory, kind of like, you know, using the popular books that are out there. Yes. Yes. Um, and then, and then they, they compare it to the research or, you know, and, and here's, here's the truth. <laughs> so my quiz, um, my, this, the, the, the um, structure that I give to exploring attachment theory and, and then um, it does actually address both anxious and avoidant, you know, a style that encompasses both. And it's structured in a way where it measures two axes that the quiz. So how secure or insecure you are. And then separately, how you express that insecurity in anxious terms or avoidant terms or a combination of both. And so you can be, you know, highly insecure and then a little bit of both, maybe like 
the 50% of one and then 50% of the other. Ah. Or you can be, you know, minimally insecure, just have a little bit of insecurity. And then you can also be both. You can, you know, the way that you express that happens in both ways. And so you can do the quiz online for free at www.attachmentquiz.com. And so you can explore that and see if it makes sense to you. Um, so that's one thing, but the, your, the other part of your question is really important, I think, and, and it might get a little bit technical. So for, for your listeners out there, this might be a little jargony, but if you really want to understand the stuff and why, you know, you're seeing different, um, nomenclature out there, then this might be important. So the disorganized style of attachment, uh, comes from Mary Main's research, um, and her experiments, um, and, and it's one of the coding categories that researchers use to describe certain babies that exhibited behaviors that we can interpret as fearful, fearful. And so, you know, I believe if a baby got disorganized, they would also get a secondary coding of secure, anxious, or avoidant. Um, and so that's, that's where disorganized comes from. And uh. then, yeah. And, and so an adult um, attachment, this has been interpreted in different ways, even though I will say the research team originally warned against interpreting this coding category outside of the specific strange situation, uh, research design. Um, but so, yeah, so the interpretation that I think makes the most sense is that this designation disorganized has to do with trauma and that there are various degrees to which it can be uh, present. And so like uh, one of the people I look up to who has written a lot on attachment, uh, Stan Tatkin calls, uh, the, calls something like pockets of disorganization where, you know, you can, you're predominantly, you know, one of the, or, uh, the secure or insecure styles of attachment, but then there's like pockets where, you know, somebody will collapse. Like if, if they, if they hear a certain word or if they, you know, um, engage in a certain kind of um, interaction with their partner. And then, um, and that's something that I see often. And then sometimes, you know, there's, there's, there's more disorganization. And so that happens more often. And then it becomes more like just what looks like a dominant style. Um, but so what I see is that that's trauma. And then, and that's, and that's how I work with it. And, and it's not entirely different in origin from insecure attachment, but it requires different pacing and different tools. Um, so that's that's how I see it. And then when I wrote the workbook, I, I decided to limit its scope to the more organized styles of attachment, so secure, anxious, and avoidant, because after all, it's a beginning guide. And I don't yes. think that, yeah, it could responsibly address, you know, the issues of trauma. And so for that, you know, I recommend people use another resource or work with a therapist who works with trauma. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, you know, and, and trauma is a whole separate impact. So um, I think that separation really was a good idea. And last but not least, the holy grail that we all aspire to is secure attachment. What does that look like? Yeah, um, I, I love that you put the holy grail. <laughs> it is. Uh, yeah. Um, so so roughly, um, if we had, you know, very available, very consistent and attuned caretaking when we were young, then we learned that our needs will get met. And we, when we signal and, um, and then we just don't really have to stress it. And so this is, um, this is very fortunate because, you know, if, if this 
um, is is prevalent throughout childhood, then we learn that like we can we can count on other people, that we can just work together, that you know we have we, we're not so anxious, we're not so so um, preoccupied by the stress that's left over from like okay, you know, do I have somebody or do I not have somebody? Um, that you know we can really flourish, and and that I think gives a lot of opportunity to to figure out you know um, how to navigate more complex relationship situations, um, and and then yeah, as adults we're more collaborative. We can deal with uh, things like um, you know more complex situations like oh I want something and you want something else, and how do we work that out? Um, and we can do that more effectively, and, and that's and that's fantastic. So, folks that would be more willing to be a part of a team—that's something I talk about with my couples a lot—is being able to think as part of a team. How can we meet both our needs? Um, and anxious and avoiders might be so filled up with their own needs, it's hard to think about being a team. Is that fair to say? Yeah, 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 and and it's. And it's, you know, one of those things where, I mean, like, this is something I emphasized in the workbook is that, you know, you can't really help because it's what you know, it's sort of the, the, the waters that you, you swam in, you know, for so long, um, that it's, it's, it's not like your fault that, you know, that, that, that kind of development hasn't happened. It's mm-hmm. just, it's just, it, it hasn't happened. You know, you were, you were preoccupied with some amount of stress for um, either the stress that, you know, you've got to take care of everything yourself and you've got to only rely on yourself or the stress of, you know, am I, am I going to, am I going to get this person to, to do what I need them to do for me? Um, and, and that can impair, uh, you know, certain kinds of like relationship development. Um, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So, Attachment styles learned in childhood are very definitive as to who we are and how we relate to others. And my thought about my audience learning about this is that the real beauty of understanding this theory is that no one's stuck in any of these patterns permanently. And what's really important is how we can deal with them now. Could you share some of what it takes to move from anxious to secure? Yes. Um, and so, you know, I think when we think about this, uh, you know, it makes sense to think about moving from insecure to secure. And then certainly within the insecure categories, either anxious or avoidant, um, there's, you know, there's, there's slightly different paths, but actually they have more in common. So anxious and avoidant have more in common. Oh, with one another. Okay. Um, yeah, because they're both insecure styles, right? Sure. Um, right. Right. Yeah. And, and so, so I think some of the things that I'll say about this also apply to, um, how to move from avoidant to secure. And so I'll speak more generally. Okay, sure. That's great. Yeah. Um, and so, so uh, what I want to say here is the, you know, you want to understand what your patterns are when it comes to relationships. You want to understand what your patterns around boundaries and your responses to things that are stressful for you in relationships. And 
and just know what's working and what's not working. Um, and if you're, you're able to really um, enjoy your relationships and to, um, to get what you need from relationships and yeah, and find them really satisfying. And then, so if something's not working, then, you know, yeah, read more, ask people you love and trust for, for feedback and input and, and talk to a professional. Um, and then, so I think for the insecure style, you know, styles of relating, um, one thing that's really important is, and I'll say this more generally, it may or may not make sense, but to deal with loss, you know, this, this, um, theme of that, that we, we, it, it may not work out, you know, if, if we're talking about a, 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 a relationship that, um, you know, one of the things that secure individuals do really well is that um, they have a realistic sense of loss and they do everything that makes sense to make sure that they don't lose the relationship, um, that it doesn't, that they don't, you know, that the relationship doesn't change or end prematurely, but they don't hold on when it doesn't make sense. They have their boundaries. So I think this is, this is really important. It's dealing, you know, as in, if you're relating these kind of insecure styles to deal with the, with loss and, um, and hangups about loss, you know, whether, whether it happens um, too soon and you get too worked up about it or, um, or you don't seem to care at all, or, you know, it seems very abstract. Um, and, and then, yeah. And then connected to that is, you know, just kind of a, a healthy sense of boundaries. Um, so that's, that's one thing, um, you know, it's a lot of this is about going through the experiences of life and then learning from your mistakes and trying not to make those mistakes again, learning to communicate more effectively your needs so that, um, so that you're dealing with reality so that, you know, you're both dealing with, with, um, the, the same reality of what you need and want. Um, and then, and then, uh, and then when it comes to relationships, the other, I think like really, uh, central thing, um, for both types of insecure is that you, you want to create relationships where you are putting in, um, as much as you're getting, you know, not more, not less. And, and that if you, you know, give a certain amount in a relationship to, for you to, um, also expect that, you know, you, you get that as well, you know, that if you give, um, you are there's generous a rhythm, with, there's a rhythm of, of give and take that goes back and forth. It doesn't have to be even, but it, it goes back and forth. It's not lopsided in a huge way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's right. That's correct. Um, and so, you know, and then when it comes to the, the different insecure styles, um, you know, anxious folks, I think generally um, it's about, like, I think you said before, it's like um, stepping back or something. I don't remember what you said, but um, something it's about, you know, self-regulation. It's about, don't just do something because it feels good and it, it sort of, um, it, you know, get, like sort of fires off an impulse, but that, you know, do it because you have um, a sense of 
what's good for the relationship, what's really going to, um, you know, um, propel both of you to get what you want and need. Um, and, and the sense of, um, yeah, reciprocity. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It really does. And, and I think I loved what you said about asking for feedback from people you love and you're connected to because they could probably help you understand how do you push people away. I mean, it would take some courage to ask that kind of authenticity, but I think mm -hmm. it could really help you grow uh, and learn more about yourself. And people love you. They're not going to bash your head in. <laughs> they're, hopefully, they're just going to risk a little bit of feedback, honesty, that can really help you grow. Yeah. Yeah. Asking for feedback is so important because um, we, are, we all have blind spots, you know? I mean, whoever we are and whatever our attachment styles are, we have our blind spots. And usually, the people that we know um, and who, who know us and love us can see those blind spots. And so, yeah, yeah. Asking yeah. For feedback. So what does, is it true that the anxious attacher often connects with the avoider dismissive? Mm, um, I, I think that's often, you know, that's something that is often heard. Yes. And I would love to hear your opinion about that. I think that you often, you know, I, I think that in relationships, you see the dynamic um, because if somebody is if even just a little bit avoidant or a little bit dismissive, they tend to you know push each other in the opposite direction if they're um, going with their impulses, um, and so they they you know what I mean so there's like a um, an effect that is amplified right yeah if you have sure a little bit of this or a little bit of that um, and but in general like. Um, it's important to, to not, I think, like hard label people as, okay, you know, this is how you show up in this relationship. So you are an avoidant or you are a, um, a, a, a anxious attacher. Uh, because I mean, and actually in, in, uh, in the research, the research says that most people are secure attachers. <laughs> oh, um, wow. Yeah. So it's really about like, uh, 30% of people who, you know, really kind of like if you get down to the nitty gritty and the coding, um, that they're insecure attachers. But, and so this is why I think, you know, I structured the way, um, I structured my quiz is that you, there's still opportunity to, to explore these patterns. Um, even if you're, you know, technically like secure, you know, which is like 70% of the population, but but there's but but if you have like this um, this tension where it's one person's a little bit avoidant, one person's got a little bit of anxious tendencies, they'll amplify each other, and they'll you know it could it could be fire. I also think it makes sense in that opposites do attract, and so there's some energy that that each of the person would benefit from from the other and give more balance uh, because I do think love is often projection of the missing pieces within ourselves, so that's where it made sense to me. But I like what you said about not locking people into a particular aspect. I think that makes a lot of sense. What final words of wisdom would you like to pass on to my audience about attachment theory and relationships that you haven't had a chance to share yet? Oh, um, well, you know, this is something that I could go on forever. <laughs> and uh, so, 
So this is, wow. I mean, this is really important work to me. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because relationships are are worth the trouble and and this like early conditioning and, you know, how we experience trust and security and and our own needs and the importance of our own needs and relationships um, is for me so much of uh, that that goes into the quality of a relationship um, and fundamentally, you know, how we can help each other to heal and, um, and, and be fulfilled. Um, and so I, I think just that, you know, I'll just share that, you know, I think that relationships are, are worth the trouble. And if you're going through this journey and you're discovering things about yourself that are, are less than ideal or that, you know, you see patterns that you want to change, um, it does take some work and does take some effort and um, and stepping outside of your comfort zone, but that it's so worth it. Yeah, I would totally agree. Um, I, I think there's so many ways to learn more about yourself that can just help you be a different person. And I always remind my audience and my clients that you can't grow without being a little bit uncomfortable. So, you know, don't get addicted to comfort like so many of us Americans do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me today, Annie. And would you again share your website and with the free quiz where people can look at themselves and answer some questions? Yes. So um, if people are interested in taking this free quiz, uh, go to attachmentquiz.com and, uh, and, and yeah, you'll find it there. Great. Thank you so much. I hope this gives you new ideas to chew over. Visit therapyideas.net, which has over 100 pages of free information. Consider signing up for a course for $29.95 that will help support the costs of the podcast. Thanks for listening to the podcast that helps couples make it. Thank you for listening to What Healthy Couples Know That You Don't. If you have enjoyed the show, please leave a rating and review on iTunes and help get the word out. To learn more or connect with Rhoda, visit therapyideas.net.